0: I'm so happy you've joined us at 11 o'clock, and I know that as you join your particular campus, uh, God's going to speak to you powerfully through the message. But as we begin, let me remind you, we've been on quite a journey with Colossians, and today's theme, whether you're going to join us at South or join us at 33 online, today's theme touches on Paul's passion, even though he was suffering for the gospel. He kept pushing forward. He kept believing. He is a little bit like the three friends in the book of Daniel that is thrown into the furnace. All he wants to do is to serve God and to trust God. He wants to preach to the world. He wants to make a difference. Of course, in chapter one, we deal with the great hymn of, of Colossians. And I'll be explaining lots of debate over this, and I'm sure Pastor Glenn will be highlighting this as well. But let me read you some beautiful words as we begin and before we go over to worship. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible visible. And invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. And that is everything he might have. He is supreme. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Beautiful words that are clearly Paul's poetic power that calls the church to worship the image of the living God, the supremacy of God. Through him, all things were created. And so as we begin worship, let's celebrate together and remember that Christ has brought all things together. He is the fullness of God's revelation to us. It's fantastic. I love it. Let's worship together.
1: Hello, Willow Park Church. I'm Jared Hannenberg. I'm very happy to be here. We're going to sing a couple songs for today. I encourage you to worship um, freely. Worship the God who loves you. Be quiet be shout out your praise. Of the Lord, then join the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out Your praise. Then join the house of the Lord. Our God is in his place. We won't be quiet. We shout out Your praise. Then join the house of the Lord. Then join the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out.
2: Think you want the things that we think make our faith better, and Lord. Let's do it your way instead, Holy Spirit. Help us to hear your voice, help us to follow your instructions, lead us into all the truth that you have about Jesus shake us up Lord shake us up spirit to do whatever he wants to today. Be prepared that that's going to shake you up. Be prepared that that's going to change maybe what you thought your religion was. But his way is better. Amen. Enjoy the rest of your service.
0: Before we go over to the sermon and unpack Colossians, And we come to the end of chapter one and understand that there are these lovely words that really capture communion as we take hold of communion, and as we celebrate Christ's death and remember him. Verse 19 says, as part of that great poetic hymn that was spoken by the Christians of that time, for God was pleased. To have all his fullness dwell in him in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things the cross was simply and beautifully a process of reconciliation christ took the hand of god father and the hand of humanity alienated and he cried out It is finished. His blood was shed and he brought the two together in reconciliation and healing. And so we've been reconciled. And how we've been reconciled? Through the blood shed on the cross. And so, Lord, we remember the body of Christ that is broken for us. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to go to the cross. The body of Christ broken for you, eat it in remembrance of him. The blood shed on the cross. This is a symbol that we remember that we are clean. We are made whole. The blemishes have gone. We have no blame. We are united with Christ through the blood of Jesus. Drink it. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, peace be upon you amen well let's take a moment and hear what's happening in and across Willow Park and then enjoy this morning's message
3: hi church family my name is Katrina and I'm one of the youth staff here at Willow Park Church here's your family news for this week Coming up November 5th and 6th at our Rutland Campus is our next Set Free Retreat. Do you ever struggle to experience lasting change in certain areas of your life? At Set Free, you will learn to identify those areas and have the opportunity to intentionally meet with Jesus and discover how you can find lasting freedom through teaching and listening prayer. This retreat is for everyone and you can attend by yourself or with a friend. Registration is free, and you can learn more and sign up on our website. On October 31st, from 5 to 7 p.m., we are going to be offering a fun, family-friendly, trunk-or-treat drive-through event for our community here at our Mission location. In order to do this, we will need your help. First, you can help by donating a bag of candy and dropping them off at the church on Sunday or at the church office during the week. Another way you can help is to decorate your car, dress up, and hand out candy on the night of the event. We will also need volunteers for setup, takedown, parking, and more. Please sign up to help on our website and consider buying lots of candy the next time you're at Walmart. Our small groups are starting up again, and if you are not currently in a group, we can help you get connected. Please contact Pastor Nick for more information. Did you know we are currently looking to fill a few employment positions here at the church? We are currently hiring a part-time office assistant, a part-time custodian, and a full-time technical director. For more information on these opportunities, please visit our website. There are so many ways you can get connected here at Willow Park Church, with many groups meeting throughout the week. Be sure to subscribe to our email updates on our website as we will be sending all the details to your inbox after Sunday every morning service. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week.
1: Reading from Colossians 1, 24-27 Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake,
4: Thank you, Tim. Good morning, everybody. Please take your seats. So good to see you. Uh, my name is Glenn, and I'm one of the pastors here at Willow Park Church. And uh, a special uh, welcome if you are watching online. We still have a lot of people who are joining us online every week. And so, because of that, uh, I just want to start this morning by talking a little bit about something that the people online may not know about, which is our trunk or tree. You guys have already heard. So, uh, if you can just uh, give me a couple of minutes, then we're going to jump into the Word of God. So, I need some props. Um, Erica, would you bring me up the X-Wing? Those are words that I never thought I would say from, from a pulpit. And uh, thank you. I'm just going to... So, those of you online, isn't that great? I just, I just want this on the wall in my office. And uh says so the X-Wing. I hope you can see that online. Can we see that, Drew? Do I need to hold it up the whole time or is it okay? I do. I don't believe him. I think he's just saying I do. Um, <laughs> so on uh, October thirty-first, we are doing this uh, this event, and uh, it's called Trunk or Treat. And some of you will be wondering why we're we doing this. And it's a really great question. You know, Halloween. I'm not even sure that I should even say that from the pulpit. That's how kind of guarded we are as a church community against October 31st Halloween and so as you actually look at the history of it, it's really interesting and I think there's a, it's, there's a great argument to be had that the church should actually be a light on the hill on this, on this night and so and also we want to look through the lens of how can we uh, let people know two things in our community. Number one, that we're okay. That's a really good goal because sometimes, as I preach a lot, people's view of Christianity and church is skewed. So goal number one is that we're okay, uh, that we're not weird. Well, we might look weird on this night, but secondly, that God's good. And so we're going to be able to give out some information to people in our community. The week before, we're going to do a leaflet drop around the area of this church and we're going to pray for, uh, as we walk. And so that is a way that you can get involved. I'm going to put this down. I'm sorry. Um, there we go. I need both hands, otherwise I feel, uh, I feel reined in. Um, so that's on October 31st. So I th- asked Jenny, um, let me pull this in a little bit, because I'm not sure whether you can see it okay. How can you help? We really need your help. So if you don't have kids at home, this night is for you. Let me say that again. If you do not have kids at home, this night is for you. Because this is an opportunity for you to come out and bless the families of our community. So don't just, dis- ministry is all encompassing. We are a cross-generational church. We love one another regardless of the age. So if you're already going, yeah, I don't have kids, so I'm going to stay at home and put my PJs on and just have a grumpy face on all night. Actually, it's probably not for you. Um, but if you enjoy a little bit of fun, then, uh, then please come out. So how can you help? We need candy. Can I have that box, please? Sorry, Erica, I'm keeping you busy. We've got these bags. Thank you, Erica, my wonderful assistant. So we've got these bags that uh, that you can take home and and fill up. So, um, so who's going to take one? Okay, thank you. All right, I see these hands. Pastors get very excited when they see hands raised. Oh, okay. For those of you at home, my wife has just killed somebody. Please come and get them. I'll go down there. Look at, how, look at how COVID protocol I'm being. I'm spreading them around six foot apart. Thank you, Terry. Oh, back. G- Jared, can you, can you hand these out? Come on, get your hands up now that you, uh, you had your hands up. Mainly this area. There's some hands at the back, babe. All right. Sarah's going to hand these out. Please keep your hands up. If you listened at home, then you can bring candy and drop it off at the church. You might want to write... Uh, mission on it. If you are connected to the mission or it'll just go all in the pot, that's a good thing. Thank you, everybody. You're brilliant. But we need lots and lots of candy for a second reason that anything we don't give out, praise the Lord, pastor has first dibs. Um, Bring your own decorated car trunk. I don't know what a trunk is because that's attached to an elephant, but if you want to decorate your car boot, then... uh, you can do that. <laughs> and all the Brits said, amen. Wear a costume and hand out candy. Attend a and craft afternoon that's in the evening. Um, all this information is online and you can find out more. Here's what we're going to do on the night. Jenny drew this. I got so excited when I saw this. And I hope you can see this online. This is our church here. And so we're going to have people coming in, cars. And these are all the cars that are your cars. So some of you are going, I don't have a blue car. That's okay. Come in your own car, decorate it, and come and enjoy. It's just going to be a fun time. And like, people will drive through. There will be arrows on the floor. We've got a real-life unicorn turning up, along with a dinosaur. We've got a Star Wars area. It's going to be fun. And this is the sort of thing. People need to smile right now. And so we have this opportunity as a church to help provide that in our community. So I'm going to stop talking about this because you can find out more information from Jenny, but the best way to get involved is to bring candy. Thank you for all those who have already committed to that. Either that or you thought, hey, that's a really nice shopping bag. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I'm just going to assume that wasn't you. And, uh, but then you can come and do leaflet drops and then turn up at night. And it's such an encouragement to us as a staff team as well when you guys get involved in that. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jenny. You can sign up at the Connect Desk in all these different ways. All right. Praise God. Let's turn to His Word this morning. We are working through Colossians. I'm loving this book. It's such a good book to, uh, to work through. I think I might have left my bottle of water down there. Sorry, I'm keeping my family busy. Um, this is such a great book uh, to work through. Thank you, love. And... Um, and this passage we're going to look at is a really quite mysterious passage in many ways. There's some things in here that are going to cause us a natural jolt. Uh, kind of a, a, a theological, hmm? that and a cultural, what? That's what we're going to look at this morning. The title of my message, and I don't often start with my title. Uh, the title of my message is, it's not an if, it's a when. It's not an if, it's a when. We're going to talk about something that involves every one of us, regardless of our age. It's mysterious, this passage, that we're going to look at, because... We, when we look at the Bible, the Bible is full of mystery. The Bible is, is full of the Word of God. and We know that God's words and minds and thoughts are much higher than ours. And so when we approach, approach the Bible, we want to approach it in a way, and I say this whether you are just exploring Christianity and we're so happy that you are here or you're watching and you're just thinking through what belief in Jesus actually means for you. Um, but we, we have this, this lens that we want to interpret the Bible by our own experience experience and by our own opinion and the end of the day and and Tim Keller talks about this a lot in a book that I'm going to be recommending a little bit later he says why would we want to I'm paraphrasing why would we want to worship a God that agrees with everything that we think that's no God to worship at all we we want a God whose thoughts and and ways are much higher than ours and we lean into him and we learn from him but it is stretching And so, I'm going to talk a little bit about mega themes in the Bible in just a second, but this passage really does show us that we need to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And so, there'll be a statement, I'm going to show you in a second, that is going to be like, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And there's a great deal of debate over this statement from people, Bible scholars and commentators, about what this verse means. And really, I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly what this verse means. And that's okay, because what we have is we know the larger themes of the Bible, and we know that this statement comes underneath that, but there is a, there's a few statements in this that are really stretching for us, especially in the society and the culture and the way that we think uh, it's really, really stretching. So I'm excited to, uh, to read this to you first of all, and thank you for Tim for reading it. Um, and I've highlighted some of the things, certainly in the first part of the verse, that are a little confusing. So First, uh, sorry, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I have become a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Okay, let's just stop there. I am not going to camp out here. This is just like a one-minute description of what's happening here. This verse, where he says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, does this mean that when Jesus died on the cross, that somehow his death was not sufficient? That Paul, in his life, needed to finish off what Jesus had started because what Jesus did wasn't enough? That is not what this verse means. How do I know that? Because a mega theme in the Bible is that Jesus said it is finished. His death, his resurrection, his life completes everything we need for life. So what does this mean? Well, this is where there's a great deal of debate. And most commentators would say that what Paul is saying is that his afflictions are building the church. And he says, for your sake. And so when Christ died, rose again, returned to the Father, Paul continuing in his calling and the affliction that he feels is kind of completing Christ's calling to the church. I hope that makes a bit of sense. I'm not going to camp out on it. I just don't want to ignore it because I've made a commitment to you to be a Bible teacher, not a Bible ignorer. Uh, But what I am going to camp out on is the first thing that Paul says that is equally confusing. I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my suffering. Rejoice and suffering are not two words we would put together. You don't rejoice in suffering. That makes no sense. Paul, as we know, and we talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, is hated universally in his culture. He's hated by the Jews. He's hated by the Gentiles. We know that because as we read Acts, we can see that wherever he goes, there is a riot. And I explained, I dream of that day. That when I preach, that you guys would get so irate, you start fighting one another. No, I need to be careful. I don't dream of that day. But it, it's kind of that, it evokes a really visceral reaction in the culture that he's speaking to. He's hated. We know that. Because, uh, well, let me say, why is he hated? Well, this verse actually shows us that, first of all, it says that he's a minister. He's called, why? To make the word of God fully known. So a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So why is he hated? It's because he's been called to be a minister. Of what? So that God's word would be fully known. This mystery Christ in you, the glory and the hope. So he's called to tell people and expound the word of God and point people to Jesus Christ and the mystery of the gospel. And as a result of that, he's hated. He's hated. In this verse, it says he's suffering Christ's afflictions. There's this affliction and suffering in his life. Elsewhere, he says, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. I wonder how many of us could say that that if we have lived Christianity in such a way that we have followed Jesus in such a committed fashion that our body actually shows the marks of our calling. Our body, by the way, will always show the marks of our calling. If your calling is towards your business, if your calling is towards just uh, your your, uh, job to your life outside, then your body actually could eventually, if you're just sitting around all day and not doing anything, then your body is going to start showing the marks of your calling. It's going to get bigger and bigger or whatever. So this is not an unusual thing to think about. But Paul is saying, I literally have the scars on my body that I can point to that prove that I have suffered for this calling to make this mystery known and it's to bound the word of God. He's been flogged. He's been whipped. He's been stoned, which literally means that you are, have rocks thrown at you or on you to the point until eventually you die. You are crushed under the weight of these rocks. That people dragged him after stoning him, dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. He's been shipwrecked. Few times, adrift at sea, homeless, abandoned, lonely. He has physical ailments, the scripture tells us. Mobs wanted to kill him every time he opens his mouth. And there, this passage is written with him sat in prison. A Roman prison, not a prison that is full of any kind of luxury at all, that often you would get to the point of starvation. And yet, he says, I rejoice in my suffering. And so you could argue, well, maybe he's just lost it that all this happenstance in his life, all these circumstances have resulted in him having a mental breakdown and he's gone mad. Well, let me show you that that isn't the truth. Because actually it's a mega theme in the Bible. And what do I mean by mega theme? It comes up by constantly, time and time and time again, all through the scriptures. The mega theme in the Bible is that as Christians, we should be rejoicing in suffering. Let me show you another Scripture. This is from First Peter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Him, great mercy is given to us through new birth into a living hope. In other words, we are in Him through Jesus, the gospel. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, while you may have had suffer grief in all kinds. Of trials. And he continues in verse 9, you believe in him, Jesus, and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy, even though they are suffering great trial. In James, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kinds. I could show you scripture after scripture after scripture that shows that when there is hardship and there is suffering and challenge and difficulty as Christians, we have Christ in us that enables us to rejoice let me say this we all face pain and suffering at some point in our life this is a human condition nobody is immune and so whatever that pain and suffering might be and I want to be very careful because I know many of your stories The amount of pain and suffering and hardship that many of you have been through in various different ways, whether it be health or family or circumstance, really is uh, insurmountable it feels for some of you. And yet, the way that you have walked through that in grace is humbling and it's powerful and it's rejoicing, even if it is through gritted teeth sometimes. Nobody is immune, regardless of your age, your socioeconomic status, your color, whatever it might be, that you are all the same under this banner. It's not an if, it's a when. Because you might be in a place right now where you don't feel like you're suffering. There's no pain and hardship. And praise the Lord for that. But I don't need to be much of a prophet to let you know that there will be a day when you are feeling pain and suffering. And however that might come, that hardship. Tim Keller in his book says this, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family and successful with a career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, relationship, betrayal, financial disaster or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Human life is fatally fragile and subject to forces beyond our power to manage. Life is tragic. I have to say, Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, I've read it a few times and I've recommended it many times, is by far the best book I've ever read when it comes to how to navigate pain and suffering in your life. And if not in your life, in somebody else's life that you love. It is a phenomenal book and much of what I share today you can find in this book because what Tim Keller has done is a stellar job of looking through the scripture and then looking at life and philosophy and combining the two and saying, why is it that we suffer? Why is there evil in the world? And how as Christians can we be called to be able to rejoice? Because as a culture, we do not suffer well. We do not suffer well. Most religions have, a, have a, an acceptance, a capacity, if you like, for pain and suffering in our world. They expect pain to come, and there is some way, some mechanism even, to actually deal with pain and suffering. But what we've done in the religion of the West, this secular society that we live in, we have created this environment that actually rejects suffering and says, no, this does not belong. This is not right. There is no God. Let's eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. Let's just make the most out of life. It's all accidental anyway. We're here to pursue freedom and happiness. There is no real purpose. It just is what it is. And so uh, this, this idea of pain and suffering is seen as an interruption to what life is really about, which is pursuit of happiness. And we do everything we can to mitigate the risk of hardship and challenge. We control everything we can. Hoping upon hope that pain and suffering do not come into our lives or the lives that we love. And yet life has this amazing way, and I've said this many, many times, of reminding us of how small and out of control we are. I've said this dozens of times in this pulpit over the years. It takes one phone call. Amen? It takes one phone call to remind us that we are not in control. It doesn't matter how much broccoli and kale you eat. It doesn't matter how many smoothies, how many miles you run, how many, how, how many kilometers you bike, how well protected your children are, whether you make them look like they can detonate a bomb every time they go out of the house, plastic and padding so they can't walk well, but they can skateboard, kind of, No matter how much we try, one phone call, one visit to a doctor, one knock on the door and a police officer standing there to remind us that life is tragic. And our culture does a horrible job of preparing us for that moment. And as parents, can I say this lovingly, as a parent myself, parents, we do a horrible job of preparing our children for it. Because our culture says that if you work hard and do well and look after yourself, then bad things won't happen. You can avoid it. You can control it. And it is far better as a parent or as a grandparent or somebody who is in the charge of children to actually prepare them well to suffer well, to rejoice in suffering. Because it will come. It is an inevitability because it is life. And we control everything we can. We mitigate risk. And I'm all for mitigating risk. I'm an a risk-averse person. When I can, as a teacher, when I was teaching grade 6, I had a risk radar that I would be able to see 30. or like I remember navigating 60 kids along with other teachers through the center of London on the tube network. I had a pile of tube cards like this, and I would provide one to the grade 6 kid. They would swipe in because it was fun, and then they'd give it to another teacher on the way out. And we'd end up with a pile of cards. Like navigating this. My risk radar is just constant. Everybody is a potential risk when you have a kid. I'm just suspicious of everyone when I've got 30 kids in my charge. Everybody. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how slow you are, doesn't matter how innocent you look, you're a danger. I'm very risk averse when it comes to looking after kids. And yet, it's funny, and I say this and I apologize to my mum and dad who are sat over there. I remember. As a child, myself, in the late 70s and early 80s, bouncing around in the back of an old Volkswagen Beetle with no seatbelt on at all. How many of you remember those days? Maybe not the Volkswagen, but it might have been another car. You know, you're bouncing around on the super springy seats. You know, your dad hits the brake. You rush forward, slam into the front of the dashboard. Your mum grabs you, throws you back. We made it. Any of you who are over 40, certainly in Britain will remember those days when there isn't a 17-point harness that you get strapped into until the age of 18. You made it. And I don't disagree with car seats. I think they're really important and very important. They're very important. We're very risk-averse. I remember playgrounds. I was thinking about playgrounds when I was prepping this, because I think about the playground that we visit sometimes when we have kids coming over to our house, and, you know, even the ground they walk on is rubber. It's amazing. And I think about the ground we used to walk on when I went to the local park. It wasn't rubber. Oh, my clicker's not working. Oh, there we go. It's solid concrete, my friends, covered in a thin layer of skin from previous kids. It was slammed into it, bounced off it. And don't get me wrong, broken arms are tragic, and yet hilarious when you're nine years old and your buddy breaks something. That's how we grew up. And then I started getting so distracted because I remember encouraging my friends to jump off, to see how far. Don't worry if you get upside down. Look at that girl. I'm impressed, and I'll guarantee you, ain't rubber. And then there was the slides. Did you used to have slides like this in Canada? Again, concrete on the floor. This had a layer of skin on it because, you know, and then there was a big pile of, you know, you were picking rocks out of yourself for weeks, two stories high. Life was good in the 70s and the 80s. It was great. You never wore a helmet when you rode a bike. Do you remember that? Again, I am not saying, I yell at people under my breath if I see them. What is it in Canada? Just Just saying about riding your bike on the wrong side of the road with no helmet. I don't understand that. Like, that, that, isn't, that isn't good. Please don't do that. But if you turned up at school with wearing a bike helmet or anything plastic on your head when I was a kid, that immediately becomes target practice for the rocks that you're going to get thrown at you. I'm all for being risk-averse. Don't get me wrong. However, I know there will come a point when tragedy comes into our life. No matter how hard we try, at some point life goes into pieces. Something happens, someone happens, something happens to someone. Then what? Then what? And Tim Keller in his book will talk about how our culture sees that as an interruption to be avoided at all costs, just to get through, just to grit through, to get to what life is actually all about, which is happiness. We don't know what to do with suffering. We don't know how to prepare our kids well for suffering. And we focus on the dangerous question of why. Can I tell you as a pastor who has walked with people through a lot of tragedy, maybe more than most, not everyone, because I know some of you have jobs that certainly bring you into contact with tragedy, so I'm not comparing. But as a job, as a pastor, I come into contact with tragedy perhaps more than most. And the most dangerous question to ask is why? Because why results in bitterness? Why results in anger? Why results in spiraling down? Why results in withdrawing and self-medicating and finding relief elsewhere? So how do we learn to rejoice like Paul? I rejoice. Oh, that's cool. Thank you, uh, Drew. You're amazing. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How do we get to that place. We recognize it's going to happen. How do we get to a place where we can say, I rejoice in my suffering? Well, what you can do as you read this passage, you will start seeing that Paul has a clear purpose and a meaning and a focus in life. His purpose is to be a minister. His meaning is to represent Christ. His purpose is to make the word of God fully known. He feels the weight of the mystery and it gives him clear purpose, meaning and focus focus I was reading this week as I was searching for illustrations about a, uh, a, a psychologist, a neurologist called Viktor Frankl. And those of you who have ever read anything about Viktor Frankl will know that he was put into Auschwitz in uh, World War II. His family, his children, and his wife were killed very, very quickly in those in that concentration camp. But then he spent the rest of the war moved from camp, death camp to death camp to death camp. And as he did so, he observed and looked at human behavior. He was fascinated with how two people going through the same circumstance can respond in two very different ways. He eventually wrote the book called Man's Search for Meaning and developed a whole therapy around the idea of meaning and purpose. That two people, same suffering, different responses and having a different life. That he noticed that the survivors were the ones who found meaning and purpose in the living hell. That there was a reason to live that they had. It wasn't the most athletic or the strongest or the tallest or the most determined. It was the people who found meaning and purpose that made it through. And all through his career, he was really sure that as humans, more than anything, it's pursuit of meaning and purpose rather than happiness that keeps us going. And so our whole culture that's geared towards happiness and relief and, and having fun and avoiding suffering, our whole culture pointing that saying that is the reason that we live is actually missing the true reason that we live, which is to find a purpose. To find meaning. And you see, Viktor Frankl's work resonates with, the, with what Paul said. Is His purpose and meaning was Jesus Christ. Christ in me. That those that were living for something greater made it through those death camps. And friends, it causes us to question whether or not we are living for something greater than ourselves or the avoidance of suffering and our circumstances. So how is this purpose found? Well, he says right here, I became a minister. A purpose is found in finding your life's work. Your, as Rick Warren calls it, your shape. What is it that you've been shaped to do in life? What is it that you have been created to put on this planet for? If you can find that, then you will find meaning and purpose. The second thing that Paul shows us here, and it resonates with Viktor Frankl's work, is that meaning and purpose is found in relationships. And what is Paul's relationship that this verse shows us? His relationship is actually found in Christ. See, he finds his life work in Christ. He finds his relationships in Christ. And so what he's actually saying, Paul, in this passage, and it is truly an amazing passage is that you can not only get through suffering, you can rejoice in your suffering, and it be a mega theme in the New Testament in Paul's life. You can rejoice in suffering if your purpose and meaning is Christ-centered. If your life is Christ-centered, you can get through anything. One of the, uh, one of the most important teachings that I believe you can read around, and again, this is in Keller's book, He talks about Augustine. Augustine is one of the most renowned theologians and prolific writers of the early 400s. And his whole teaching is around the idea of what you make as your top priority in your life, your ultimate. And so if we make anything, this is his basic teaching, if we make anything other than God our priority and purpose, good or bad, we will always live in fear and anxiety that leads to control. So let me just break this apart a little bit. First of all, your priority and purpose can be a good thing. Your priority and purpose could be kids, work, ministry, calling, anything at all. But if your kids and your work and your bank account and all these good things, your car, your Manchester United football team, whatever it might be, if that becomes your, my priority and my purpose then it's going to lead me to living in fear and anxiety. And Augustine said the reason was is because we're in constant fear that we're going to lose it, that something's going to go wrong. And then if something does go wrong, we then learn to question why, and we get angry towards God. And we get bitter, and we get anxious about that as well. It could also be a bad thing. If we make something bad our priority and purpose, whether, whatever that might be, then we also start feeling anxious and fearful if that gets taken away as well. So anything outside of God, Augustine said, can be taken away. And in Christ... Paul says, and Augustine says, and many other writers, and the New Testament says, in Christ we can have a relationship that will never fail us, regardless of the circumstances. And so, as parents, when we bring up our children, we do everything to protect them, and I am absolutely for that. I'm absolutely for that. But if our children become ultimate, and they become our priority, and I, and I can actually quote things that our culture encourage you to say, they're my world, I will do anything for them. And that's good, but the second that that becomes more good, more purposeful, more ultimate, more of a priority than God, what happens when that child suddenly does something or or something happens around their life that causes you angst and you feel like your world falls apart? And so we feel like we swing. I'm not saying you hate your kids. I'm not saying you don't prioritize your kids. I'm not saying that you just, you know, you just disregard your kids. Far from it. But actually, we, it's not, a, it's not a, a, an all. You can't love God or love your kids. It's that the most loving thing you can do is actually to love Jesus more than them. To prioritize Jesus more than them. Because stuff will happen to them in their life. They will go through something and it will disappoint you. What then? If your life falls apart and the suffering comes as a result, you actually have to ask yourself, what is it that I'm making priority? See, Paul said these amazing words. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I've said this many times before. This made him invincible. Because there's nothing that can happen to Paul because he's always in a win-win. You let me live, it's for Jesus. You let me die, hey, I'm going to go meet Jesus. And so he's able to rejoice in suffering because he's in a win-win. Because his constant ultimate is Jesus, not the circumstances. He's not hooked into, I must have the circumstances in a certain way to gain my joy. My joy is found in Christ and all that Jesus did. And in that passage, we see this mystery that he talks about. The mystery that you and I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not just a kind of a, a friendship, a, hey, we should do coffee, but not really kind of friendship but actually Christ living in you, and you being in Christ, that Jesus, by His own determination and by His own power, went to the cross and willingly sacrificed Himself, and thereby taking the punishment that I deserve, and you deserve if you believe in Him, and it die with Him, your sin and shame die with Him, and therefore you, having communion with Christ, you can be one with Jesus, And so all your priorities change because now you are different than the way before. You don't have to worship your life and try and control it and try and keep it good so that you feel good and you feel happy. But you can actually worship the one that is over that, more ultimate than that, and find purpose and joy and rejoicing in that. And he goes on, see this hope that you can find, that James Further expounds it, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That as this suffering comes into your life, something quite remarkable starts to happen. And again, to quote Timothy Keller, he says, you don't realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And suffering gives you, and hear me out, gives you the opportunity to discover Jesus in a far deeper way than you would outside of suffering. That you actually get to the point where you count yourself worthy to go through whatever it is that you are going through Because it presses you closer to God. And by show of hands, I'm not going to ask you to do. I know that if I asked you, how many of you have gone something that's so tragic and so difficult in your life, and yet somehow your relationship with Jesus just multiplied. Because, and I love this quote, I wish I'd thought of it. You don't realize that Jesus is all you need until he's all you have. Until you've got to the very end and nothing else has worked you realize that all along that Jesus was walking with you and he's all you need. And the real you starts emerging, that through suffering it highlights the real you. Those of you who know my story, and my family's story, have been in the church for a few years will know that I had this opportunity a few years ago, about six or seven years ago, to go through a period in my life that beforehand I had blatantly mocked. I, had a, I burnt out, I fatigued my adrenal gland, and the result of that was deep depression and anxiety, and as I've said, I've spent literally many hours sat in my dark clothing closet, not wanting to come out. That which I made fun of was now my excuse. Why do I say made fun of it? Because I was always that, oh, please, you're feeling a bit down, and pull your socks and get, up and get on with life. And then God counted me worthy to allow me to experience the very thing that I needed to humble me and show me my true self. Suffering has that ability to highlight who you really are. The real you comes out. Not the you that we Instagram or Facebook, but the real you the hardship allows us that opportunity and allows Jesus the opportunity to come and to remind us that actually all we truly need is Him. When we come to the end of ourselves, we tend to seek God. Suffering does that. And these are the things that we should be teaching our children. How many of you know uh, Joni Erickson, uh Tada? The young lady. This is like growing up as a Christian. She was... She was just this iconic uh, personality in Christianity, and she's still thriving, amazing lady. I think at around about the age of 18, she dived into some shallow water and, um, and broke her neck, and so she's paralyzed from the neck down. And she really went through a time of deep depression and anxiety. It's not like she suddenly started praising the Lord for it. She worked through it, and just her painting using a, a, a brush in her mouth and just speaking and singing and all sorts of amazing things. She said this, God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God sometimes permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. I am a firm believer that God does not. He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of sickness. He doesn't create that. But I do know from experience and from walking with many of you in your life, I know he will use everything that comes into your life for his glory and his purpose. Isaiah 48, it says, See, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. When I was at university, I had the opportunity of actually doing some casting and, and some, uh, not casting spells, I so really calm down. Um, casting, um, we use pewter, actually, and so you made like, um, oh, my, my words are failing me. What are they called that you pour into? Mold, thank you. You make uh, molds out of cuttlefish and different things like this, and then you pour the pewter in, and you can make these little pendants. It's really, really cool. But as you heat up metal, something amazing happens. All the dross comes to the surface, and then you scoop it off. And this is how they refine gold, certainly how they used to refine gold. They would heat it up, and all the dross and all the impurities, everything that's not gold rises to the top, and then you scrape it off, and you heat it up more, and you scrape off the dross. You heat it up more, you scrape scrape off the dross and this is the picture that Isaiah that the Lord is using in Isaiah here I have refined you I am making you something pure I am testing you and you will be gold Joni said this, We will stand amazed to see the top side of the tapestry and how God beautifully embroidered each circumstance into a pattern for our good and His glory. The mess of a tapestry on one side, the beauty of it on the other, that all could enjoy. And then as gold and beautiful tapestries that suffering seems to create, we can then take that gold into the world and you see change in others. You see your suffering, your pain, your hardship turn to gold. Your life, your hope, you pointing to Jesus, Him being ultimate actually creates beauty in other people's lives. So a better question to ask is not why. Let's not put Jesus on trial as to why you're going through this suffering because Job, who arguably is the one character in the Bible that is most referenced when it comes to suffering, he had everything taken away from him. And this constant why and all his friends all through are giving him these reasons. And then right at the end, it's like God. God comes and he says, no reason at all. He doesn't give Job any, any, question, any answer at all. All he does is ask him more questions. A better question than why that ultimately can result in bitterness is who? Who is it in my world that is going to benefit from what I am gaining as I go through this suffering and as I look to Jesus, my hope and my salvation? Who is it that is going to benefit? When is it that I'm going to be able to communicate it? When is it that I'm going to be able to come alongside this person? And how can I make the most of this suffering that has cost you everything at times? This investment, for those of you who are more business-minded, the return on the investment in other people's lives that comes through the suffering and the hardship that you feel. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that as this pain and this hardship comes, as this suffering comes, if you have somebody in your life who is going through that, if you want to learn more, far more than you're hearing in in my sermon, you should look at that book I have referenced to you. But what I want to say to you is that God has this precious moment for people who are going through the most difficult and challenging times. Let's not avoid it. Let's not teach our kids to do everything we can to try and control it. Let's lean into it. Let's say this is part of life. So how are we going to live through this? How are we going to not just cope, but how are we going to rejoice in this? This is not minimizing the pain and the suffering by any means. It's actually looking at it and leaning into it and saying, God knows the suffering costs a lot. So as I finish, I just want to let you know four things really quickly. You've heard this a lot from me. It's okay not to be okay. This, by the way, is why the, it's an absolute heresy to believe in the prosperity gospel. It's a heresy to believe that somehow suffering and evil are not part of God's plan. When Jesus himself suffered cosmically on the cross, it's okay not to be okay. Because what we do is we get depressed for feeling depressed. We feel anxious because we don't believe we should be feeling the way we do. It's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to have the answers. It's okay to ask the big questions. God can cope with your questions, but there always comes a point where it's okay not to have the answers. And let me say, I wish this was in the Bible, but it kind of is. This too will pass. If not now, as a Christian, eternally, the hope of Christ, the glory to come... This too will pass. And I'd encourage you to let Jesus do His work. To let Him do His work in you as you go through it. To not give up hope. Knowing that good things will happen. Good will come out of this. Maybe not in your lifetime, but in the lifetimes to come. That no investment that comes through suffering is going to be laid to waste. That the good things that God has given you in your life, your salvation... The biblical community, the things that, God, that, that people can never take away, those are good things. And I tell you, awesome things to come. The hope of glory, knowing that this earth will be righted and reconciled back to the way it should be, that there will be justice, there will be purity, there will be joy, there will be healing, there will be renewal, there will be a new home. And these are all things yet to come. And as a Christian, we can look forward to that. So as I prepped this sermon this week, I really prayed for you. And I know right now that many of you are going through literal pain, some of you, and suffering in other ways for many of you. And so what I want to do as we come to an end, as we worship the Lord, uh, the Lord in our final song, and I have to say, I didn't know what songs the girls were going to choose, but if you've noticed, there's a theme all the way through. It is Well with my soul. It is well. How beautiful is that? Do you have that hope in Christ? Let me pray. Lord, I pray that for everyone in this room, first of all, I pray for those beautiful people who are going through deep pain and hardship and suffering even now. Lord, for those that it took everything to get here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just gently whisper encouragement to them. But Lord, that you would remind them that you are walking with them. As that beautiful song says that you are in the fire with them. That the f- life might feel like furnace but you are standing in the fire and Lord I pray that if nothing else they hear from you it's okay you're enough this is normal it's going to be okay Lord I pray that Lord that people who are going through deep hardship would sense that from you this morning. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who life may not be suffering in hell right now. But Lord, I pray that we would embrace and look for opportunity to rejoice and look at our lives to see how and when and who our experiences can bless. Lord, that we would be so filled with your presence, so filled with the knowledge and wisdom and revelation of you that we could stand on Paul's shoulders and say, I will rejoice. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Lord, I pray that this hurting, confused, polarized, angry culture that we find ourselves in would see and hear Your good news just from our lives itself. That's my prayer, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I stand to sing.